With each passing day, you know, we're closer to the end of that race. You know, that, that's, a, that's a good thing to think about. Better is the house of mourning than the house of feasting. What? <laughs> what? What do you mean? What do you, I know not what you speak of. But that's the word of God. It's, it's better to go to the house of mourning because this is the end of all men. Right? This is my end, your end, our end than the house of feasting. May God give us wisdom, right? Wisdom that mourns and laments because of much sorrow, because with much wisdom comes much sorrow. That's the, the other side. But uh, God gives us joy even in the midst. He's, he, there, our God is the living God. I, I don't know how else to say it, that our God is the living God, right? You, you, you have to rely on his word to understand him, to know him, to know his ways, they're, they're so counterintuitive uh, to the sons of Adam, the daughters of Eve, the way that we do things. He's the living God. He's not an idol. He, he's real. And he, he longs to be known. He longs to be worshiped in his holy word. Let's open his holy word to, uh, let's start with um, 2 Samuel chapter 5, 17 through 25. And then we're going to read Psalm 124. Beloved, the Bible is a book of salvation. The God that is revealed in this book is a God who delivers his people. He is the saving God who rescues his servants from a variety of perils, if you will. Whether it be the destruction of Pharaoh in Egypt, the menacing giants in the valley of Elah, from the lion's den to the wild beast of Ephesus, to the storms of the Sea of Galilee, and a host of other dangers. But above all, our God is a God who has delivered us, his people, from the domain of darkness and has translated us, right? He's, he's moved us from one category, one state of being in Adam, that kingdom of darkness in the first Adam, and translated us into the kingdom of his beloved son, the last Adam, whom Paul references as the life-giving spirit, the one who brings life of new creation. In Psalm 124, we have the church's song about a great salvation because we have a great God. It's a song about what might have been had God not intervened. The immediate historical context, it is believed, is to be 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Saul, that is King Saul, has met his end. The curse of the covenant has fallen on this son of Benjamin. Humanly speaking, it looks as if there's no hope for Israel. Israel is now a vassal state of the Philistines. And David, that is King David, the son of Jesse, the one who's been anointed to follow Saul, has been or has risen to the throne. And now he's established the capital in Jerusalem. Well, the armies of the Philistines hear about this. They know this could reach or come to a place where there's great trouble. So they dispatch the armies to go and to squash out, to, to silence the rebellion of David and once for all to silence Israel's king. So let's pick up reading in 2 Samuel, verse 17 of chapter 5. 2 Samuel, chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. The ESV has it entitled, David Defeats the Philistines. We really know who defeats the Philistines, do we not? This is God's holy word. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. 
But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, that is David, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal-perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there. That's all you can do. You see, you have to carry your idols. The living God carries you. And David and his men carried them away. Oh, the imbecility of idols. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, but go around to the rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. For then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. Now let's turn over to Psalm 124. A song of ascent, one of the 15 songs that Israel would sing as they would make their annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. A psalm of David. Again, what might have been if the Lord had not intervened? Psalm 124, verse 1, If it had not been the Lord, Yahweh, that is the covenant Lord, that's his personal name, who was on our side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant Lord, who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord Yahweh, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's go to this one who is the help of his people and pray and ask for his help. We can't do it without him. Trust me, I was in the study. We have to look to him. Our Lord and our God, you are our help. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the great deliverer of your people. You delivered the son of Jesse, King David, from the Philistines. You have delivered us in Jesus Christ. Come now and bless your word. Enable us to make much of Jesus, the greater son of David, our Savior, the Lord, our righteousness, our King. We pray this in his holy name. Amen. Where would, be, where would we be this morning if the Lord had not stepped in? 
if God had not been on our side. If God had not stepped in and delivered you, delivered you from the bondage of sin and the corruption and brought you into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And by his providence brought you into his visible church. Where would you be if God had not intervened? That's the question David is asking here in Psalm 124. In an effort to stir God's people to remembrance, to thanksgiving, to praise. You can hear the relief in David's voice, can you not, as you meditate and think upon these words, trembling to think what might have been if God had not intervened. If God had not intervened, let Israel say, if God had not intervened, what would have happened? What if God would have not intervened? What's interesting here is the most notable feature in the psalm is the absence of self-congratulation. There's no boasting. There's no subtle pride, right? There's, there's no boasting in skill or tactics or superior weaponry. That's how we won. We were smarter. We had better tools, better tactics. No, friends, the people of God are portrayed as helpless, as those on the brink of extinction at the hands of their adversaries. The psalm forms something of a samurai's. Literarily, if you will, verses 1, 2, and 8, we have the exalting of the covenant Lord. In verses 3 through 7, we have the filling, if you will, of the sandwich, where David uses a series of metaphors to describe the deliverance that Yahweh, the covenant Lord, that's what you see there, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the way to translate the personal name Yahweh into English. But David begins by asking us to pretend, if you will, like a game of pretend with this word if. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel not say. And then he repeats it. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. You see, David is rhetorically asking us, where would we be if we were left to ourselves? If he'd never called. If he'd not stepped into our lives and we were left to ourselves and only to our own desires, left to our own resources and wisdom. Now, while the immediate context here in Psalm 124 is 2 Samuel chapter 5 with David there fighting the Philistines in the valley of Rephaim, I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to understand and to see this psalm in our own various contexts, our own trials, our own struggles, our own difficulties. You see, as the church in the wilderness, as the church who lives this side of heaven, in between the already and not yet, in the establishment of the kingdom and its consummation. You see, throughout church history, the people of God have known what it means to have themselves surrounded by the unbelieving world. The world is always again against the church. The seed of the serpent is always at war with the seed of the woman. The church has always known something of the world's hatred. Where their faith is tried and tested, Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, remember it hated me. Not only the world will hate you, 
but your own flesh, that is the remnant of sin that yet remains, will continue warring against you. So that what you want to do, you don't do. And that what you don't want to do is the very thing that you will do. And you will cry out with groanings, and you will be like Paul in Romans 7 and Romans 8. And then there's the devil, right? The strong man, yes, he has been bound. The chains have been attached. He is God's devil. And yet, Peter tells us that he roams around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, church, where would we be if God had not intervened? If he had not been on our side, if he had not been working all things together for good to those called of God and loved by him. You see, David here wants us to see how perilous it was if God had not been on our side there in 2 Samuel 5. Notice verse 2, when the people rose up against us, their anger was kindled against us. You see, the enemies of God, they came out against the people of God. Spurgeon says, anger is never more fiery than when in the people of God are its objects. Sparks be- the thrust, and are thrust into the blaze. If God had not intervened, we're told in verse 3, they would have swallowed us up alive like a monster, like the earth opening up and swallowing a people. In verse 6, we're told that the people of God would have been as prey to their teeth, right? In honor of Shark Week, right? I don't know why they put it on in the summer, right? When you get ready to go to the beach. Right? I, I cut the Discovery Channel on the day, and they're just talking about sharks. They keep talking about them. Big ones, great whites. But when a shark feeds, it sinks its teeth into its prey, and it just shakes it like this until it takes out a big hunk of the prey. That's what it was like for the people of God if God had not been on our side. But God is on our side. He's Emmanuel. He's God with his people. He's the God who makes covenant. The God whose name is signed on the dotted line. Who swore by his own name for there was nothing greater to swear by. Who signed it not with ink, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but signed it with the Son of God's blood. It is yes and amen. In Jesus Christ. In verses 4 to 5, the metaphor for the enemy changes even again uh, from a wild beast to a flood. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been swept away in the raging torrent of the water. It's like the flooding this week in southwest Virginia, in Kentucky. Twelve inches overnight on Thursday night, and it's still raining. Everything just got washed away. The torrent washes it away. As of last night before I went to bed, 25 people had been washed away. Their lives snuffed out. Four of them were siblings, Susie was telling me yesterday. Like ages 8 to 2, 
holding on to their parents. And then all of a sudden, the torrent of the waters just came and washed them away as their parent lost their grip. And they see their children floating down the mighty torrent of the, the flash flood of the water that just sweeps everything away. Nothing can stand before it. Verses 6 to 7, David likens Israel to a bird caught in a fowler's snare. You see, the more the bird struggles, the more tight the snare, the more ensnared it becomes. The picture here is one of total helplessness and without hope. The only escape is for the snare to be broken by another, someone with the power over and above the people. And this is what the covenant Lord has done for his people. Notice where David says the victory lies. The victory is ascribed entirely to God. Verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heaven and earth. It was God, the covenant maker of heaven and earth, who was on our side, David says. Though the forces uh, allied against them were great in number, the one who was on their side is the maker of heaven and earth. You see, those who are against them were told in the ESV verse 2, it says people. The word is Adam. They were just merely dirt. This week I was thinking about what can dirt do to you? Well, well, dirt can take you out, right? It can kill the body. It can usher you as the child of God into the very presence of God, but that's all it can do. Dirt serves the maker. The maker has the sovereignty over the clay, The clay must obey the maker, the maker of heaven and earth, whose power is unlimited, whose power is for the good of his people and the glory of his name, that all things must work together for good in the lives of his people, you see. What's the applications for us? Well, they're numerous, are they not? Beloved, God desires us to know this morning that he is for us. This morning, are you feeling overwhelmed? I don't know if I've woken up over the past two years where I wasn't overwhelmed. If I stopped to think, stopped amusing myself with my phone, my computer, my Netflix feed, my Prime Video, or sports, if you just stop and think, you're going to get overwhelmed. Oh, blessed overwhelmed, though, right? Oh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yes, I know it's counterintuitive. And your flesh is saying, no, I I don't like that, Pastor. (laughs) I I don't want to go there. Just give me bread and circus, some popsicles, and maybe a new, uh, you know, Mission Impossible movie every two summers. Don't be so shallow, O image bearer of the Most High God. Don't be so shrill, Be still and know the Lord, he is God. It's his torrent. It's his earth that opens. It's his wind that blows. It's his thunder that roars. It's his lightning that lights up the sky. It belongs to the creator. And he is our help. And he is our maker. He is our redeemer. Are you weighed down 
what's presently happening in our world and the future. We think about our children. We just stop, those of us who are grandparents, you just stop and you think, what kind of world are we leaving to our children? Financial uncertainty. Unsure about where everything appears to be headed. Maybe you feel ensnared in the fowler's trap in some particular besetting sin. Psalm 124 wants you to know that God is on your side. God is for you. He's not against you. He has coveted with you, never to leave you nor forsake you. Beloved, he who spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, will he not with him give us all things? If he's given you the very best, the most ultimate thing that he could give, the thing that he prized above everything else, will he not also with him give you all things? God is not a man that he should lie. You see, beloved, the victory and the ultimate deliverance that God the Father has brought about for his elect is far greater than any military victory that David could ever procure for Israel. Let me remind you of the forces that were against you, the winds and the torrents and the earth and the opening up of the earth that was against you when you were outside of Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 to 4, we were dead. We were dead, spiritually dead, objects of wrath, each and every one of us. In Adam, following the ways of the world, following the prince of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We were gratifying the flesh. We were following its desires and lust, and were by nature children of wrath. You see, the beast was ready to swallow us whole. The floodwaters of judgment were about to overwhelm us. The fowler's net was set. Our feet were ensnared. We were without hope. We were without God. You see, friends, you're not merely sick. You're not in need of merely someone to come along and coach you and to help you, to give you some good advice. You were spiritually dead and bondage to sin's guilt and power, but God, being rich in mercy, Paul says, made us alive and raised us up in Christ, and he seated us in heavenly places in him in order that, right, he might show his incomparable riches of his grace in the coming age. He has brought you this far. Has he only brought you this far to fail you now? No, beloved, in Jesus Christ, our covenant God is for us. Beloved, your God has broken the fowler's snare. Listen to what he's done for you. Listen to Paul's argument in Romans 6 as you struggle with that sin this day, whatever that sin is that you're dealing with, that besetting sin. Maybe it's lack of assurance. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's greed. Notice what Paul says in Romans 6, 6 through 7. As those baptized into Christ, we know that our old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. 6.14, for sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Romans 6:18 having been set free from sin you have become slaves of righteousness. 
Sin is no longer your master. You now have a choice. Your will has been set free. It's been regenerated to say no to sin. The grace of God, Paul will say in Titus 2, 14, the grace of God has appeared teaching us. What does it teach us? It teaches us to say no to sin. No to that second look, men. No to that outburst of anger when that guy cuts you off on the road. No, no sin, you are not my master. I'm not under your dominion. I no longer serve the God of this age. Yes, I was blind, but now I see. I've been set free in Jesus Christ to love my children, to love my husband, to love my wife, to love my neighbor as myself, to no longer serve the passions of the flesh that once ruled me and dominated me. Beloved, listen to Spurgeon again. Whatever the sin that has trapped you, that gracious hand that was once nailed to the cross can set you free. You see those nail-scarred hands of Jesus? They're real hands in heaven who sit on a real throne, and they really pray. They can set you free. They have set you free from that dominion of sin. Maybe today you're fearing death, judgment. And you know if you're outside of Christ, you need to fear. You need to fear. You need to tremble. The Word of God is clear. I I love the Word of God because it's so clear. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Bible says he's a consuming fire. And without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And maybe death has its tentacles wrapped around your heart and you're full of fears and phobias. Listen to Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. My brother had it read or read it this morning in Sunday school class. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you to to set you free from the fowler's snare, from the torrent of the rain, from the, the sharp razor's teeth of the enemy. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, that being Jesus Christ, shared in their humanity so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were in slavery by the fear of death. Beloved, what would have been if the Lord had not been on our side? What if there was no God in heaven? What if this God in heaven had not intervened? Where would you be? And then again, I began to think, well, pastor, let's, let's bring this into church history. What if the Lord had not been on Athanasius' side there at the council of Nicaea? What if the Lord had not been on Luther's side when he stood against the world? What if, if the Lord had not been on the side of Ridley and Latimer as they stood before the stake? What if, church? What if the man who first founded this church, planted it, wasn't a faithful man? Didn't believe in the infallibility of the Word of God. The exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ. What if? What if God had not given us faithful elders and deacons? What if we didn't have faithful teachers laboring in the Word before our children? What if? 
What if we didn't have faithful servants serving in the background with quiet faithfulness? What if? What if? What if the Lord had not been on our side? It trembles us. We tremble to think, what if our God had not been for us? On judgment day, when you stand before God, where would you be if the Lord is not on your side? You see, your biggest problem, unbeliever, is your only solution. That's the paradox. The biggest problem every sinner has is God. And the only solution any sinner can hopefully ever have is God. Your problem is your Savior. Do you know your Savior? Can you say with David, can you think with David, can you go to that place, what if? What if the Lord had not been on my side? What if he had not died on Calvary for my sins? What if the Father had not credited his righteousness to me? His perfect, active, and passive obedience. If it wasn't my gift, my faith, what if? What if? What if the Lord had not been on my side? The good news of the gospel is that he is on our side. You see, saints, we sit here today in Christ and his victory, and we have been given the first fruits of the Spirit. We have already begun to taste it. And one day we're going to drink of it in all of its fullness. But until then, we see dimly. Listen to Paul as he speaks about this reality, this angst, this groaning, this angst as those who live between the already and not yet of the kingdom. For while we are in this tent, that's how Paul refers to his body, a tent, right? You think about it, are you a tent? <laughs> there are all kinds of varieties of tents. But Paul says, as we are in this tent, we groan. And our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, right? We're not just groaning to get to some intermediate state, right, where we put away the tent and we just kind of, we're disembodied spirits in heaven, which is where the church is right now in heaven now. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying he's groaning for the consummation, when he'll be clothed no longer with a perishable tent, but with an immortal tent, right? A body like Jesus Christ. We'll be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The, spot, the Spirit is, is God's signature, it's God's guarantor of our, of our great inheritance that yet remains, who now lives within us, who prays with groanings too great for words. Church, Christ has won the victory. We live and die in his ultimate victory. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, all saints in Jesus Christ, God is on our side. Let us join 
the chorus of the saints who have gone before us and those who will follow us. May they be faithful. May they take Psalm 8, or rather Psalm 124, verse 8, and understand it, that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see, that's the church's song. It's always been the church's song since Genesis 3.15. <laughs> We've been singing the same song. This is why Calvin in Geneva, in both stints there, early and then later, would use Psalm 124, verse 8, to bring the church to the call to worship. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, you see. Oh, beloved, may God give us grace and may God give us faith to look to the one who redeemed us. What if the Lord had not been on our side, but he has and he is and he forever will be? Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for Psalm 124. We thank you for its deep reflection. It causes us, it challenges us to stop and to contemplate and to be still, to think. Oh, Father, the very thing the ungodly will not do is think. Lest their conscience overwhelm them, lest it open its mouth and swallow them whole and sink its teeth into them, and they're consumed by impending guilt and judgment that is to come. Oh, Lord, but you've called the righteous to be still and to think and to know. Oh, Father, that we would grow in spiritual wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the God who is for us, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen.